Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Anderson. Nice to be here. Awesome. So tell me how you got into everything that you're doing now. What led you down the path to become a doctor? You know, what is your story? Well, right now I'm a dermatologist and I do mostly cancer surgeries. So I mostly remove cancers off of people's faces and then do reconstruction afterwards so that they're not left with a huge scar. Uh, Prior to this, I was a military doctor. I was the first reconnaissance surgeon uh, for the Marine Corps. And I did two combat tours to Fallujah, Iraq. And it's funny because when I was in Fallujah, I looked at dermatologists as pimple poppers, as, you know, not even really doctors. And it's somewhere in the end of my second combat tour, I wanted to completely quit medicine and become a chef. I had seen so much death and dying and war and horribleness that I was going to just can all of medicine. Yeah, but I had dated a, a girl who was a dermatologist and she loved her life. So I, I thought, well, I'll keep trying the medicine thing and I'll apply, never thinking I'd get in because it's so competitive. And they let me in and it turns out this is, this is where I need to be. Right now, I'm, I'm kind of in this weird transition of still practicing medicine, full-time clinic, all that sort of thing. But I'm really trying to get into the space of empowering people to, to take care of themselves So they never need doctors in the first place and trying to help doctors with all the burnout that is plaguing our profession right now, especially with COVID going on and all of that right now. I I think that the 50% burnout numbers that physicians experience skyrocket. I think those are going to be matched by the non healthcare provider population from what's going through. And so I'm really trying to transition my life from cutting cancers out to trying to help people never need doctors in the first place. And that's really powerful. That's a really powerful message to um, to do that. I mean, because at the end of the day, doctor really means to teach, right? And so how are you empowering people to not need your services or to not need your help? What, what, is, what message are you trying to get out there? I guess I'm trying to get out that we're all human. And, and that there's two sides of that coin. One side of that coin is that we, we need help and we need to get help when needed. And the other side of the coin is that we're in charge of our own destiny. So if you, if you right now look at the U.S. healthcare system, between 50 and 85% of all dollars that are spent on healthcare in this country never needed to be spent if people actually took care of themselves. A proper diet, proper exercise, mind, body, spirit, health. And as physicians, we were never taught anything about prevention. I don't know about you, but I was never taught anything about prevention. One week out of four years of medical school was on prevention. And, and most of that was not very accurate or, or useful information. So physicians, we deal a lot with death and we deal a lot with disease. Instead of dealing with day one of life, throughout life, educating people on what they can do so they never need doctors. See, we we have this philosophy that we can 
be 300 pounds overweight and drink a bottle of vodka a day and smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. And at some point when everything falls apart, then you go to your doctor and they'll give you a pill and boom, you're healthy. It's not how it works. And, and this thinking not only is robbing people of their individual potential, but it is also bankrupting our medical system and making it so that we can't have a healthcare system that takes care of everybody because it's just collapsing right now under this weight. Preach. <laughs> I, <laughs> I 100% agree just completely. You know, it's been interesting. I get a lot of comments, you know, because I do primarily functional medicine. That's how that's what I work within the parameters. And so when people are said they're pushed out of the medical system and they're said, Oh, you know, nothing's wrong with you. We don't see anything. So I work within parameters, what I call the gray zone and we get people's lifestyle kind of back up and running, make the dietary changes, um, you know, get them on an exercise protocol. We do supplements based on like what we see with lab ranges that they just need to be on a short period of time. And then we move off of that nutrition deficiencies, environmental exposure before it gets to a place where somebody sees somebody like you, right. Or these people have been pushed out And the common uh, feedback I get was why didn't my MD know this? And what I generally say, because I feel that this is the truth is you know, you guys are taught to treat in a black zone. Okay. We have an emergency. We have to go, you know, triage, you know, I think medical emergency room doctors are incredible at what they do. I mean, they blow me away. They, it, it blows my mind. So, but I think what is happening is, you know, obviously you guys weren't trained to look at that. And I think a large percentage of the population and how you can beat autoimmune disease and all these other low-grade diseases is actually related to, you know, just health. Like you said, you know, the doctors, sunshine, exercise, uh, mental health, whatever it is, you know, that, that gets these people back on, back on track. Right. And, and diet is critical and sleep is something that's so overlooked. So, but I, I a hundred percent agree with you. And it sounds to me like more and more MDs are I think I think we're starting to understand this a lot better. I think that we are, again, we're not trained in medical school or in our residencies to think like this. And most of the knowledge that I've acquired has come after medical school. Right before this podcast, which, by the way, thank you for letting me be here. Totally. I was on the phone with the VA because I, I get um, care from the VA. And I called them. I said, look, I'm... I'm starting to not sleep well. I'm, I'm starting to become a little hypervigilant again. I'm starting to have a little bit more irritable bowel symptoms. And um, I need to talk to somebody. You know, I have a diagnosis of PTSD from Iraq. And for one physician to tell another physician um, that they have a mental health disorder, it's like taboo. You're not allowed to do it. But we all have it, right? So yeah. all of us at some point in our life will need help. And if a physician can get online and tell people, I wrote a book about this and, and very honest about the, the mental damage, the moral injury that happened while I was in Iraq. And the stories are horrific and you'll, a lot of people 
people who read the book, they have to put it down, especially veterans, because it, it takes them back to their war time experience. But all of us will have a time where we need help. And the harm is not in getting it. The harm is letting it ruin your life or using it as an excuse to never fulfill your dreams and your potential. So I don't know. I'm going to ask you um, a question. Okay. And uh, how did you how did you start your day today? I actually um, I got up. I you know do a few things in the bathroom and then I meditate. So I meditate awesome. and then I cook. I actually cook every day um, before I leave the house, depending on which day it is. I sometimes will exercise in the morning. Um, or exercise at night, but um, I'm going to exercise tonight. So I took a short walk this morning and then I cooked my food for today and uh, got ready for work. That's awesome. So I get up at four o'clock every morning. And <laughs> so early. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But it, it's what works for me. And okay. I, I get up and I go downstairs and I exercise and I get, I have a beach body membership. So it's like 150 bucks a year and you can do hundreds of different videos and then i i get everything going my metabolism my brain and there's not a single day that i actually want to do it never it never happens but <laughs> when it's done, <laughs> no when it's done the rest of my day goes perfectly and then i make a shake and that shake i put an avocado i put blueberries i put um flax seeds or sorry i put chia seeds in there and then I do a, a vegetarian-based protein powder and some um, oils, and that's my breakfast. And at lunch every day on, on Sundays, I make all of my lunches, which is a bunch of salad for the whole week. I put them in jars, I take them to work, and then I make my own salad dressing. And the reason I'm telling you this is, is because if you look at people who actually are healthy, it's, they do things like what you did, right? So you, you start your day with intention. Um, I end my day with meditation or prayer or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's kind of synonymous in my mind. I have that little muse headband and I, I sit there and I meditate and I, I try to calm my mind. Um, I do affirmations. I do uh, framing. So the very, very first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, um, I have a yoga chime alarm, so it's not jarring. Mm -hmm. And then I force myself to physically smile, like biggest I can do and think right. about the three ways that the day is going to go amazing. And it only takes 30 seconds, but we know that our emotions follow our physiology. So we know that if we're slumped forward and, and we're have a horrible posture, we know that our testosterone levels go down. We know that our brain doesn't function as well. Not only that, our, our body hurts, our musculoskeletal system is screaming at us. And so if you force yourself to smile and force yourself to think about how great the day is going, and then at the end of the day, I force myself when I'm sitting in bed with my head on the pillow to smile and viscerally, emotionally relive the amazing part of that day and be grateful for it. You know, they've done studies where just sitting there and making yourself feel the gratitude every day before you go to sleep, it actually lowers your depression more than the antidepressants ever will, more than any pill you can ever take. All it takes is you saying, I am in control of my mind, which means I'm in control of my body and my spirit, and then living the life you want. But so many people, especially during COVID, so many people are sitting at home, 
eating the processed foods, not exercising, drinking too much alcohol. And, and, and let's, let's dive into that for a second. Cause I, yeah, I think you're going to be doing the, yeah. <laughs> so they did a study last year that if you consume four or more ultra processed foods a day, mm-hmm. your chance of dying from all causes goes up 62%. Now, ultra processed foods are French fries, um, pizza, um, crackers, you know, these sorts of things. The standard American diet is nothing but ultra processed. So we've got people at home, COVID, and they're just going for the Doritos. That I don't even think you can call that food. Now, listen, I love them. They're great. I have them the 4th of July. <laughs> yes. That's it. But, but you can't call them food. They are scientifically engineered to be as biologically and physiologically and psychologically addictive as possible while offering no... In fact, they even put chemicals in there to trick your brain into saying you're not full so that you eat the whole bag. Okay, so people are at home. And then people are at home and they're not exercising. And then people are at home and they're drinking too much. Well, alcohol depletes your zinc. And we know that zinc is one of the most important things to fight viruses. So we know that COVID preys off of the weak, preys off of disease. And so we're doing ultra-processed foods, increasing the inflammation in our bodies and our blood pressures and making it so that the inflammatory cascade is completely messing with our mental state. And it costs more money than, than fresh fruits and veggies. We're not exercising, so our bodies can't handle the oxygen loads. It, our, our blood vessels, our brain, nothing is working optimally. And then we're drinking or doing pot too much or at all, and that's depleting our body's ability to fight. So instead of people saying, oh my gosh, COVID is something that I can control to a large extent by being as healthy as possible, they're just watching endless news getting fear-based and continuing on a bunch of habits that aren't healthy. And it all comes down to this. Look, if you haven't taken advantage of this time of being at home, you need to ask yourself what mental health disorder you are struggling with. What addictions are you falling on? Instead of looking, take a good hard look in the mirror and saying, why do I consume too much alcohol? Why am I 300 pounds overweight? You're not stuck in traffic anymore. You're not working too much. The only thing holding you back is your mental illness because who doesn't want to live optimally, function optimally, feel great, look great. And if you're not doing it, you really need to look into your mental health. Now, you're, I'm a doctor. I just told you I have my own mental health issues from Iraq and I work through them every day. There's no shame in having some stuff that we need to work through. Again, the shame is allowing that to ruin the rest of your life. Thank you for being so honest about what you have been through and just being able to be so open about that because that's huge. And people really need to hear that because um, working on mental health is critical for just being completely happy. And we all need to work on that. And there's absolutely no shame in that. And I think when it really comes down to it, I think many more people than think that they have been through PTSD actually have. You know, you said, a couple really amazing things, I think, in what you just discussed. And you dabbled on this just a little bit, but when you're talking about processed foods, you said that, you know, they are made more addictive, right? And so people don't realize, I I, I always quote the Guns N' Roses song. Um, 
I, I don't know which one it is, but it says, I used to do a little, but the little one do it. So the little got more and more. So the saga is clearly about drug addiction, but I actually use that to describe dopamine and rats, you know, when they are um, over consuming sugar. And so each day the sugar solution gets more and more. I think back in 1998, Nestle did a study and they realized that there was 11,000 new processed foods hitting the shelf every single year in 1998 prior. So there are not that many more foods coming on the market, right? And so we have really bastardized nature and I run organic acids tests just to hundred percent back up your point, which checks to, which checks your neurotransmitter levels. And then the, um, the, the pathways that actually make neurotransmitters. And I will tell you everybody that I see 90, 98% of the tests, low in serotonin, low in dopamine, making too much adrenaline and ending up with adrenaline burnout. Um, and so they're not running those pathways and they're deficient in all of those nutrients, um, which is pretty incredible. So, I mean, I think your point way too much processed foods, you know, every time your blood sugar goes up a point, you're at a higher risk for cardiovascular disease, just like you pointed out huge, more risk factors and disease. So you pointed out that zinc was critical for COVID and I totally agree. And I've, you know, read the studies on nutrition, but Someone today was asking me, they said, are these actual studies that you had done with nutrition? Because I've treated quite a few COVID patients that were not needing to be hospitalized, obviously. Um, and, and they responded great to care. And the comment that came up today was, oh, are these actual things backed by studies? And I was like, absolutely. But people don't believe that. And I'd kind of like to get your perspective on you know, how the, how maybe nutrition could really help with something like COVID, especially like zinc you mentioned, and you, you dropped a little bit about oxygen on that. Yeah. So it's a great question. And I, I think it's the propaganda of medicine. So I think that the sins of the house of medicine are the same as the sins of the house of Christianity. And I went to seminary prior to medical school. So for people who just uh, said something um, profane by, by me pointing out the church's uh, poor history, I think I know what I talk, I'm talking about. We have shrouded the knowledge we have in jargon. We have not taught, like you, you started out earlier, doctor means to teach. We don't teach anymore. We say, come in and pay your copay, and then we'll tell you what's needed. You know, I, I, there's a YouTube channel. It's called Your Health University. It's my YouTube channel. And if you have any sort of dermatology issue, uh, I've done a video on it. And I, I don't get paid for any of this, but I want people to go there and say, oh, I have dry skin and know what I recommend and try it so that 99 times out of 100, they don't need to come see me and pay money, but that's not. See, medicine operates out of scarcity, not out of abundance in this country. Mm -hmm. we, we are just trying to get more and more people to come in. And so what we're telling everybody is when they come in, and I talk about it in my book because I had this patient who came in and he lost like 25, 30 pounds. He looked amazing. I hadn't seen him in a year, but I walked in the room and I, I know, Dr. Barter, that you know exactly what I'm talking about, but their skin looks different. They're I don't know what an aura really looks like, but something is so different that you instantly know that everything has changed about this person. And I 
I said, wow, what have you done? He goes, doc, I watched what I ate and I exercised and I dropped 30 pounds. I said, why'd you do it? He said, because I was diabetic and I had high cholesterol and the doctor wanted to just give me a pill. And I said, well, hold on. What can I do so I don't have to be on meds? And he said, uh, well, diet and exercise. And he said, done. He lost the 20, 30 pounds, whatever it was, and no longer has high cholesterol, no longer has diabetes. By the way, his marriage actually started to become fulfilled again. He started to have a sex life again. He started to enjoy life again. And you could, he, you could walk in the room and the year prior, he was the type of person that you might have just simply not noticed. But this year, he was the type of person you wanted to sit down and know everything about. Everything has changed. I don't fault the other doctor for just wanting to give him pills because almost all Americans, they just want the easy answer. Mm-hmm. And the easy answer is hardly ever the sustainable answer. I was on the phone with the VA and the doctor was very nice to me. And you know they're doing phone visits. And he said, well, Reagan, your, your dreams are starting to get bad again from Iraq. Why don't I give you a new alpha agonist, you know, prazosin? It's supposed to really help people with PTSD and dreams. And I said, look, I, that will be the last resort, but I need to talk to a counselor. I need to get whatever's out because I need, for 10 years, I've had this completely locked down. And for the last month, for some reason, it's not. So I need something is in. I don't want to just bury it with a pill. I want to get through it. And he, he was shocked. He was shocked that somebody wanted to actually do the hard work so that it was easy for the rest of their life. And in medicine, we perpetuate this. You know this as well as I do, that if a patient comes into my office and I can treat them with carrots and spinach and <laughs> blueberries and polyphenols and stuff like this, I don't get paid as much for that visit as if I write them a prescription. It's called medical decision-making. And the lobbyists for the pharmaceutical industry were very good and very clever to give doctors more money when we write prescriptions. And so you're asking why? Why are there studies? Absolutely. There are studies from here to the moon. Um, I created a supplement to help people get healthy skin. But the industry doesn't really want to accept that because it is so profitable to cut cancers off of people, right? And to, to... treat their acne with a vitamin A cream that's $300 that could be $10. So our whole system is set up for profits, not for empowering people. And we have all the ridiculous jargon. So it makes it seem like you and I have some divine knowledge written on a stone (laughs) that only we, it's not there. We all know the lessons. And if you, if you don't know the lessons, talk to your grandparents, they know the lessons Elbows off the table, sit up straight, eat your fruits and veggies and get outside and play. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just we want to give all of the power to the doctor so that we don't have to take personal responsibility because if we don't take personal responsibility, it's always somebody else's fault. And, you know, I honestly, I don't care about heart disease, lung disease. I don't care about any of it. Um, And I don't think most people care about it either. I care about living my optimal life. Mm-hmm. You know, you tell somebody, hey, you're not going to be able to have sex with, with your partner. You're not going to be able to enjoy life. You're going to be in chronic pain for the rest of your life. I think that's a lot more real than, hey, your heart could be in trouble because we can't see it. We can't feel it. Um, and 
I think that people just keep pushing things aside and abdicating their personal responsibility and it needs to stop. Yeah. I spoke to a cardiologist, interviewed a cardiologist on the podcast, and he said, you know, basically if you tell somebody about their heart, they literally don't care. Just reaffirming what you said. But if you tell them something about erectile dysfunction, which we know is an early sign of cardiovascular disease, or if you talk to them about memory loss, then suddenly they're motivated to do the work. But he says the same thing. Like really you have to take responsibility and, you know, take care of your doctors that are, you know, outside exercise, you know, make sure that your personal life is in line, eat well, all the things, you know, that are really important. So you being a dermatologist, you know, acne is a really common um, complaint. And as we're talking about health, I think health is a loose term. And especially during this COVID bit, I've heard people say, well, this person was perfectly healthy and they're in the hospital on a ventilator with COVID. And to me, you know, my first thought is what's your definition of health? What does that mean? Like, does that mean that they're not on any medications? Do you know what their blood sugar is? What does their nutritional health look like? What's their diet look like? Like, I don't have enough facts to say, you know, X, Y, Z is healthy. Um, but what's your opinion on, on, you know, for example, some of these skin conditions and overall health, like what's your comment on that? So I, when I was in Iraq, I did something, um, they were called psych rounds, but of course the Marines didn't know they were psych rounds. And I would go around, you know, sometimes I was on a different mission than them and vice versa, but everybody I could, I would do the rounds and I would look and I ask questions. So I'd look at their skin and see how much inflammation I could see in their skin. Now, this was before I was a dermatologist and this was before I was even interested in being a dermatologist. But if they had a lot of inflammation, I knew that something was happening back home. And so it, and it never failed. I should have done a study on this. I really should have done a well-controlled study on this. But I, every time they had an acne outbreak or a herpes outbreak or fill in the blank, eczema's popping up, you know, dry, itchy skin, um, something was always happening back home with their spouse or with their parents or something like that. And it, it made me stop and talk to them, bring it out of them, what was happening. Because for the vast majority of people in Iraq who died or who were injured, it didn't happen because the insurgents were so skilled at their craft. It happened because we weren't paying attention. We started to get complacent because our mind, we weren't taking care of our mind or we were so worried about something at home that we couldn't pay attention to the threats. And so I would talk to them, get them to tell me what was going on. I'd also usually say something silly and stupid to see how they reacted because all of us have a baseline reaction. And so if either their skin looked off or their, their standard reaction to silly, stupid stuff was off, I knew they needed help. And sometimes that meant, you know, if we were inside the wire, inside a protected space, we'd go run until one of us puked or do push-ups or something. And sometimes that meant talking, but our skin is the biggest organ of the body. And I think it will definitely show a lot, not everything, but it will show a lot of what's going on internally if we just pay attention to it. I, stress does nothing good for any of us. Um, but another, another huge clue for me was when people would come in and they would be concerned about some cosmetic complaint. Now, these were Marines and these were recon Marines. So they were the toughest of the tough and... These, these guys didn't, 
their arm could be dragging behind them with one little tendon attaching it and they wouldn't complain. I mean, these guys, but they would come to me sometimes and they'd notice a a little deformity in their fingernail and they they had to have it fixed. Hmm. And that was my clue as well to say, what is going on with your brain? Because health, in my opinion, is mind, body, and spirit. It is the holy trinity, if you will, of of taking care of your everything. And the skin, it's kind of a window into the soul. If you're willing to pay attention to it, the inflammation for one, paying attention to cosmetic things that you never cared about for two, and and just being cognizant of everything that's happening. So you really feel like the emotional component really comes out through the skin. In a, in a pretty powerful way. Do you, did you link any specific emotions to the skin out of curiosity? Was there anything that, that kind of was more so linked like an emotion or was it just kind of overflowing in whatever regard it was? Yeah. Overflowing in the negative. So worry, anxiety, stress, uh, those sorts of things. Um, it really increases the inflammation in your body and, and it can be seen like, all of us have had instances where we're embarrassed, right? And we flush. I mean, it, it's it's not rocket science. And and I think that if we pay attention, not just to our, our skin, but how we react to the normal things, like if, if something happens in your life and all of a sudden you, you go from zero to 100 and then you stop and actually say, was that worth it? 99 times out of a hundred, it wasn't. It's not, yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we put it on our spouse or we put it on our work or we put it on the government or we put it on COVID, but really the vast majority of the time it's, it's our interpretation. You know, Nelson Mandela, an incredible man was locked up in prison for 27 years, I think. And when he got out, somebody asked him, Hey, aren't you mad that they took, I think it was 27, but don't quote me on that 27 years of your life away. And he said, why would I be mad? It gave me 27 years to prepare to change the world. Mm -hmm. A lot of us think that we are victims to what happens to us, but unless you get hit by a truck and very few things in life, how we respond to it is a hundred percent within our control. And wherever our emotional home is, we will find a way to get there. So we've all had people in our lives and sometimes even us where a great day is happening and they find the one thing to nitpick. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Uh, did you see the cloud outside? <laughs> you know, we've all had this. When 9-11 happened, if you can remember it, if you're old enough to remember it, I am. Mm-hmm. My emotional home was to help. I was in the military. The military paid for my medical school. So I picked up the phone and I called my detailer, the person who assigns us places. And I said, look, you need to pull me out of medical school whatever my country needs, I'm there. And a lot of other people called and said, there's no way you're pulling me out of medical school. Wow. A lot of people responded with trying to help others. Some people responded with fear, with anxiety, with fill in the blank, wherever you responded to 9-11 and however you responded to COVID, that is where your emotional home is. Now you can change that to something of your choosing but it's very instructive for all of us to say, how did I approach this? Did I approach it with empowerment and ate well and exercised and did all the things that I needed to make myself the strongest possible? Or did I circle the drain? (laughs) Circle the drain. 
It's really <laughs> true. Like, and you see it all day long as a functional medicine specialist. Mm-hmm. I, I bet the vast majority of your people are taking control of their destiny and saying, tell me what I need to do. I'm motivated. I don't want medicines. If I have to, as a last resort, I will, but what can I do to prevent ever needing to see one of those bloody doctors again? Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what I see pretty much. And the people that don't have that mentality. Um, so don't last long in my practice because you have to do dietary changes. You have to be off of sugar. You have to do these things. You have to take personal responsibility because you know, you it's, it's not a, a road where I just here, take this and you're totally fine. Like it's, we're walking together. I'm giving you some guidance, but you're doing it most of the work, you know, with diet, with exercise, with working on your emotional health, like it all plays in to one, having to do exercises that are specific maybe to a muscle weakness in your body. Um, But most of the folks, again, that come to my practice have really been turned off by basic medicine or don't want to be on those pharmaceuticals or had such severe side effects from the, from the pharmaceuticals. So um, I think that that's generally what I see in practice. Why do you feel like, um, maybe some of the risks, you know, with, with skin cancer have increased. So I think tanning beds are a huge uh, part of it. And are those still again, happening? Do those still oh, happen? Yeah. No, they don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all over the place. Uh, and, and the tanning beds are still telling people that you get vitamin D from them. Well, first of all, it's the wrong wavelength of, of light. I mean, it's, it gives 1% of what the sun will do. Um, and all it does is give you cancer and make you look old before you need. But again, it comes back to the mental health thing. I think everybody listening to this says, yes, tanning bed's bad. And a lot of people listening to this still do them. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be a lot more instructive to ask yourself, why are you addicted to this? Because we know people who do tanning beds have higher rates of depression and bipolarity and all of those sorts of things. So they're, they're trying to self-medicate with an addictive process. And it doesn't give you vitamin D. So I think tanning beds are huge, but again, I think it's because of undiagnosed and turning a blind eye to mental health issues. And it's mostly young women who do it, uh, who've bought into the body dysmorphic nonsense that are in all the magazines and all the, you know, in my clinic, when we had magazines out, we never had the, the cosmos, the Vogue's, anything that had any sort of anorexic photoshopped woman in it. It was not allowed because that's just not healthy. Um, so tanning beds, I think, uh, we're living longer. So we're accumulating more UV damage over the years. I think when sunscreens initially came out, people thought that they could cheat the system and put the sunscreen on and then laid out in the sun for eight hours a day. And it was okay because they had sunscreen while they, they just kept accumulating this damage. It was less, but it was damage. I think when sunscreens also initially came out, um, it didn't really block a, a lot of UVA. It was mostly UVB. And so they weren't getting the burn, but they were still getting a lot of the radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, while we're on the topic of sunscreens, I've never been a fan of the chemical blockers because they, they change the yes. energy of the sun coming into your body. And even before all this stuff with the barrier reef and all that nonsense came out, I still think a physical blocker like zinc is my favorite, not the nano size. It's too small. It'll get into your body and we don't know what will happen to your kidneys that are filtering it. 
the Micronize is good. And they make some amazing formulations now that, that you'll want to wear and you okay. won't look like white <laughs> face. Um, so I would much rather have the sun reflected off than change the energy of it. And if a little bit of zinc absorbs, okay, uh, fine. Um, and I also think diet is playing a huge role. Now I have no scientific background or evidence to say that's linking basal cell cancers or squamous cell cancers to, um, to diet, but it has to, it absolutely has to. Do you think there's any, um, correlation just in your opinion between chemical exposure and skin cancer? I don't know. I I do know that um, I asked people to go to the environmental working group. So EWG.org It is free and you can look up anything that's in your medicine cabinet and see the junk that's in there. So like nail polish, let's say nail polish has a lot of has toluene in it and toluene is a birth defect causing and cancer causing substance. And if you think about how, horribly nasty nail polish smells next time you do that associate that with if you're pregnant you could be giving your child birth defects and if you are not pregnant you could be increasing your risk for cancer and if you look at go to the environmentalworkinggroup.org and look at all the stuff that you apply to your skin then you're going to be shocked you know there's i think that there are um 1100 chemical substances that are banned in the EU because of their cancer causing all that sort of stuff. And in America, I think there's less than 20. Mm-hmm. So because in America, it's about making corporations money. It is not and about giving the people the cheapest product possible without looking at the long-term causes. Mm-hmm. So if you, if I encourage people to do this, but I'm not sure that I've ever seen a study that proves that these chemicals in there increase the risk of basal or squamous cell cancer. Just curious. I, it was interesting. I ran a toxic uh, panel on myself. I was really curious to see what toxins I would pee out in the course of this. And like the benzene levels, the petroleum byproduct levels were off the charts. Like it was terrifying to see actually what was coming out of my system. And, you know, and you know, I've really had a clean organic diet for many, many years. Um, I've been doing, you know, a clean eating. I, I think I was introduced to this about 15 to 20 years ago, doing any of this before it was cool. And that like, it blew me away to see how much I was still currently detoxing and what I had been exposed to and probably what I'm exposed to on a daily basis. And just you know, in the air and in the chemicals. So, um, so what do we, I mean, this is huge and I love hearing your perspective on all of this, but you talked about physician burnout and how, how do we stop these physicians from being so burnt? You know, what, what is it that needs to, to help these folks? Because it's a, it's a big deal. And it's a problem that I think a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. So I, I think everything from start to finish needs to change. So I, and I write a lot about it in the book, 
I throw everybody under the bus in the book, by the way. I throw pharma <laughs> under the bus. I throw patients under the bus. I throw doctors under the bus. I throw medical school under the bus. I throw everybody is bloody at the end of this book. Yes. Uh, but that, that's the point is that everything needs to change, right? Mm-hmm. Everything. We have to start teaching prevention. I am just so sick of cancer after cancer after cancer when we could have prevented it. I, I think physicians get burnt out for financial reasons, for medical legal reasons, for uh, patients not being partners in their care. And I tell a story in the book of some, and this happens all day long every day, you know, please sign the consent. Did you read the consent? People have no idea. They just sign anything. And I could be signing away. They could be giving me their car, you know, (laughs) nine times out of 10, and they'd never know it because patients don't want to take any personal responsibility for anything. And if you are listening to this, I want you to ask yourself, okay, you're listening to this podcast. So you're in a very, very narrow group of people (laughs) to begin with. But the last time you were at your doctor's office and signed the intake paperwork, did you read it? When you were given a prescription, did you read what the side effects could be? Did you sign the consent without reading it? Or did you actually pay attention to it? Before you got that new fill in the blank, um, let's do facial cleanser. Did you go to the environmental working group and see if it was helpful for you? Did you do your own research on topics like universal healthcare? Or do you just say, hey, I'm a Republican, so I don't believe it. Or, hey, I'm a Democrat, so I think it's the best thing since sliced bread. See, all of these little labels that we do, everything that we try to separate ourselves the more we do that, the more it puts on the doctor's shoulders. And anytime you have a one-sided relationship, anytime we approach life one-sided, we only have one side of the coin. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be involved in a bunch of one-sided relationships. Nobody wins. Mm-mm. And physicians are the only people in the healthcare system who are held accountable. Insurance companies aren't. They can deny everything all day long and never get sued regardless of if it is standard of care or not. Pharmaceutical can do whatever they want. Billions of dollars in lobbyists so they can write the laws. I mean, look at the Medicare Modernization Act of 2003. Congress, in its infinite wisdom, decided that we could not price negotiate drugs. The government, for government-run programs like Medicare, could not price negotiate drugs. Pharma... You're, you're fair. Whatever you want to charge is fine with us is what they said. What? And, and then they come into the doctor and they say, I can't afford the meds you've given me. And the doctor says, I have nothing to do with it. You guys need to get educated. And then you need to vote your conscience so that Congress doesn't pass a stupid law so that they can get the money to, for their next election. And, and this is burnout for physicians is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just the symptom that if we just address it for physicians, we're just masking all the other problems, just like a pharmaceutical pill does. We're just taking care of this little thing and then caught the side effects. Nothing ever gets done for anything else. Mm -hmm. So there's no magic here. It's, you know, we want to think that natural is better. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. We want to think that the free market is better. And sometimes it is, but sometimes there's abuses. And I I just think it's a bunch of one-sided relationships. I just wrote 
a chapter in a textbook on medical marijuana. So my section with another author uh, was on dermatology. And people think, oh, let's just go get some CBD oil and some CBD infused lotion. It's fine. It's good. It's natural. Well, if you look into it, there people who consume those have higher rates of mercury in their body and heavy metals because the marijuana plant is so good at taking out the heavy metals. They have higher instances of pesticides and rodenticides and insecticides in their body because we're not regulating anything. And 30% of everything that you see over the counter that says there's no psychoactive substance in it, no THC, nothing that gets you high, 30% of the stuff that says there's nothing in it actually has enough psychoactive THC to get you stoned by putting it on your skin. And so another reason for physician burnout is that people, they like to get just a little bit educated, whatever backs up everything else, their preconceived notions, whether you're a Republican or Democrat. And because they're just putting that aside of their political party affiliation, that absolves them of any personal responsibility and thinking for themselves and researching it on their own. Wow. We need a system where everybody's accountable. Everybody and everybody has access to healthcare. You know, we could change just one thing and have enough money to treat every citizen in this country, have zero copays and zero deductibles for everybody. And that one thing would be to have one set of rules so that when you had a knee replacement, you knew how much it costs. When you needed a pimple popped by your friendly local dermatologist, <laughs> you knew how much that would cost. As it is right now, the insurance companies have thousands of different rules, and it's solely designed so that they can deny care. And because of that, we end up spending $2,551 per person in America to administer health care. Most of it is to deal with denial so insurance companies can make more money denying you care. Whereas in Canada, they spend $551 per person per year. One third of every dollar spent in America is designed to make insurance companies more money. And you talk about physician burnout, you're in our office. We have nothing to do with your insurance contract, but the only person you can talk to and yell at is the doctor. Good luck trying to get a hold of your insurance company and asking them to explain themselves. The only person you can yell at is your doctor. And so I've kind of given you a taste of everybody I've thrown under the bus, including starting off earlier of the 300 pound overweight, three pack a day, bottle of vodka a day person from them all the way through to the administration, government, the doctors, everybody. Yeah. We need a complete overhaul. People have to take responsibility and you can. It's so easy to, to just take care of yourself if you care enough about yourself and your loved ones to live up to your potential. Wow. You dropped a lot of bombs that I didn't even know in that a lot of bombs. So we're outside of the insurance system, but I had no idea. Number one about the marijuana piece. I did not know how much mercury was in that. I, I, I did know about the pesticides and no idea about that. And that 30% of the THC could be absorbed through your skin, even if it wasn't you know, if it was more CBD, that is scary. That's a failure for a drug test right there. That's terrifying. It's huge. It, right? can, it can destroy someone's life. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, and 
I think, wow, just so much there. So the solution is ultimately to take responsibility and have universal health care and put some limits and put some leashes on the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies is what I hear you saying. Absolutely. Everybody can still make money. We can actually, you know, people think that universal health care means socialized medicine. It doesn't really only Britain and the VA system in America is socialized. Mm-hmm. Um, America ranks 37th, 37th in the world for healthcare. There are 36 countries that do it better than us, and they're all universal healthcare. And this is when you actually measure measurable outcomes, and they all do it for cheaper. So we don't necessarily have to do universal healthcare in this country. If we just had one set of rules and one set of prices, we could you know, do very well. Uh, I don't know how you do that in this country without a universal healthcare system. But even with universal healthcare, you look at France, private industry administers it. You pick which insurance you have. But people think that it's just some socialist thing. And that was propagated by the insurance companies because they're so profitable. They know that anytime in America we say the word socialized, it's automatically the devil. Well, it's a lie. And if people have a phone, have a computer, go to the World Health Organization, they're neutral, and look at how they rank things and look at how much better care people get in other countries. Now, like I said earlier, and I've teed this up, I've done it a couple times. If you're a Republican, you're going to hate it because you think it's socialized. That is just, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong, 100% wrong. It'll take a 30-second Google search, your mouth will drop open, and you'll say, how have I been lied to for so many years? Democrats, you're going to say it's the best thing since sliced bread. You're wrong, you're wrong, (laughs) you're wrong. Okay? There are pitfalls for all of these things. We have to find out what's right for America. We have to figure out what will work and won't work. And the great thing is the rest of the world has it. So all we need to do is pick and choose and make it happen. So guys, whatever your preconceived notions are, just like whatever your emotional home is, how you dealt with COVID or 911, you now know your greatest weakness. When we use our preconceived notions to just blanketly judge a concept without actually doing our own research, just because grandpappy told us about it, that's what we're going to believe. Look it up. We have the ability to offer healthcare to everybody. It doesn't have to be universal healthcare. I think that's a better way of doing it, but it doesn't have to be. Realize when you're being lied to, and guess what? In November, we're going to be lied to a lot, all the way from here to there. Do your own research. It's free. You will be astounded at what we could accomplish if we stop yelling at each other and arguing with each other. Do the research on our own and then vote our conscience. That I actually, yeah, I like that. I, I saw in a news article, I don't know how this is going to go through, but there's a Prices Transparency Act that's, that was put into, I think, process, and the hospitals are fighting it because they don't want transparency of prices, which, and it, you know, obviously it's been buried by all this COVID stuff, but I was like, whoa, that would be so fantastic if people knew what they were paying, they knew what they were getting into, and they felt like it, they could have an honest conversation with their doctor about what they needed if they had major price constraints, you know, because that does play into it. Money is a factor, you know, in healthcare. Huge. So it's a huge factor. You know, 700,000 people a year go through medical bankruptcy in this country. 
700. So um, earlier this year, I had a ruptured appendix that I tried to walk off. The Marine in me was like, ah, I can just walk <laughs> off the appendix. So it got to the point where I was going into septic shock and, you know, I had to go to the hospital and all this sort of thing. Well, after they opened me up in my, literally they opened me up and pus just streamed out of my belly and they fixed me all up. And later on that day, I was in the hospital and I soiled myself in the bed. So I was like, oh, you know, I was going out of anesthesia, everything was off. So I cleaned everything up and I put the sheets in the corner and then I called the nurses so I could get other sheets. And then I walked down the hall, um, my pride, you know, greatly hurt. And as I was walking down the hall, I was thinking, okay, I'm a physician and I have health insurance. All I need to focus on is getting better. But over half of Americans, over half, have such high deductibles that they'll never be able to pay them that as they're walking down that hall, they're wondering if they're going to be able to feed their family. They're wondering if they're going to be able to pay their mortgage. It's, it's, it's unconscionable for the wealthiest country that has ever graced this planet, for the greatest country that's ever graced this planet, with the country with the most freedoms, that we do not offer healthcare to all. And it's equally a tragedy that we have the highest obesity rates and the highest rates of people not taking care of themselves of any country on the planet. And we're just taking advantage of it. And by our selfishness, by us not taking care of ourselves, not only are we robbing ourselves of our potential and a pain-free, fruitful life that you can actually remember and enjoy, but we're also, because of our selfishness, not allowing enough money in the system to take care of the five-year-old child who, no fault of their own, doesn't have health care because of the zip code they were born in. It's, it's, it is a tremendous tragedy. And we, if we care enough, can correct that. Do you know that the healthiest 50% of the population, which, by the way, a good portion of those are still overweight, but the healthiest 50% only consume 5% of all healthcare dollars in this country? It's insane. And yet 60% of women are overweight or obese or um, obese and 75% of men are overweight or obese in this country. That's a stat. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) On that note. (laughs) Wow. I have no words. So where can people find you? Where can people find your book? Where can people find your YouTube channel? So uh, Reagan B. Anderson, B for boy, um, ReaganBAnderson.com is my name. It's got all my stuff and uh, almost all of it's free. So um, you can just see what it is. But, you know, more importantly than that, it's called Google.com. Mm-hmm. Look up things for yourself. We, we're in the information age. Don't rely on social media. A simple Google search from trusted sources uh, you can learn anything. And then the only question is, do you care enough to do anything about it? And trusted sources being like PubMed, National yeah. Institute of Health, those places, because I don't think people Absolutely. know where to find that either. Yeah. In your books? Like yeah. The CDC, um, World Health Organization, all of these places, um, Gundry, like there's a, there's a lot of doctors out there that offer free stuff, right? And, a lot of free um, advice. A lot of free advice that's reputable. And your book, Universal Death Care? <laughs> yeah, it's called U- Universal Death Care, a solution for healthcare in the age of entitlement, because that's our age, unfortunately. 
And I think we all know that entitlement, it won't go anywhere good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate it. This has been such an interesting conversation. Thank you for your time. To your health. To your health. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.